shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio's Clone Wars Declassified is brought to you by Little Debbie Snacks and their new Cosmic Cupcakes. To learn more, go to littledebbie.com forward slash Cosmic Cupcakes. Little Debbie, official snack of the galaxy. Rebel Force Radio presents... Incoming! Declassified. So, this is where the fun begins. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars. The Clone Wars. Here we go. In laser collectors. Maximum firepower. Boom. All batteries return fire. Oh, yes, sir. Now it's time for Clone Wars. Declassified. Well, I was going to start out by asking, what does this change in terms of your perception of... Episode 3 and what we know what about what happens there. Yoda's plan. For me, the answer is everything. These last four episodes with the Yoda arc, as we're calling them here, on Rebel Force Radio, Clone Wars Declassified, for me, just turns just about everything on its head. We'll find out what our panel thinks about it, uh, starting with my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Ch-ch-ch-changes. Yeah, there's a lot of things happening here in this incredible story arc that changes not only our perception of events that happen in episode three and beyond, but just changes in our perception of what the force is and where it originates from and what it's all about. And I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about it here on this roundtable, this incredible final roundtable for Star Wars The Clone Wars, single tier yeah, well, you know what? Never say final, right? Never say never, never say final. Who right. knows? <laughs> right. At least at least as far as the immediate future, uh, this is the the only one we have on the calendar right, right now. So for sure. Uh also joining us uh from across the pond, artist and uh well, one of the one of the best guys to talk to when it comes to the visual language of the whole Star Wars saga, Mr. Paul Bateman. Paul, welcome back to the round, uh, whatever this is, declassified. <laughs> oh, we're off to a great start, aren't we? Yeah, we really are. Must be in such great company. Yeah. Even if it is confused. <laughs> confused company. Well, continuing confused company, uh, another member of our A-team, uh, filmmaker, director of Fanboys, Kyle Newman. And I think Kyle brought some company with him. I did. I brought Jamie with me. Hello. Do, now, do we have all the priestesses? Yes, you do. <laughs> Fantastic. Right here in my pocket. <laughs> you, Actually, two more, but they were on vacation when Yoda went. So. Oh, is that right? So maybe one had the, 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 the mouth slanted to the other side? Every time I thought I, I, I had them all, you know, there's happy, there's sad, there's kind of straightforward... There was that crooked mouthed one. The one with their mouth open and they put their hands up to their face like um, Home Alone. It was joy, sadness. Um, it was joy, sadness, confusion, anger, enlightenment, basically, like those types of things. Uh, okay, okay. So the confusion, that would have been the one I think with the crooked mouth. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, the depressed one. <laughs> Jamie, you are like, you're like the female equivalent of D. Bradley Baker now. 
Oh my God. Thank you. You are. It was amazing because I found myself a few times because I, I watched this before I looked anything up on Wikipedia and I knew that you did voice work in these episodes. So I kept waiting for you to show up and, um, so I was completely, completely spoiler free, and we got to what I thought was you, and I go, well, maybe that's not her. And then it's like, oh, no, this must be a different actress. So which one is Jamie doing? And then I realized you're doing all of them. Yes. And I really honestly, truly didn't realize that until the very end. So amazing work. Thank you so much. You kept them all. Now, are those all your, just, your uh, personalities? Yes. Uh, <laughs> only Kyle knows that, but now the world does. So, um, you know, I think the reason why, um, you know, it really worked is because um, I, you know, I'm very studied in the way that I do my work and the way that I break down the characters um, and very nuanced in the performances that I give. That's just the way that I was trained. Mm-hmm. And Dave Filoni is, is really into that. And he, um, you know, he loves sitting down and talking about the characters and talking about the impact of them, talking about what their intentions are, really going into the psychology of things, which is what is fun as an actor. Um, and so, you know, it was really, it, it's, it's kind of amazing because every human being has, or every, no matter who you are, we have these different multidimensional layer, layers or facets to us within our own consciousnesses. And and when you're playing one character, typically it's creating something that looks like a diamond, right? Where we show all of these different emotions at different times. And for this, it was basically splitting one consciousness into many consciousnesses and, and showing a clear delineation of, um, of, of who they are in their purest of emotions. Mm. Did you approach it or did Dave ask you to approach it as different characters or facets or sides of one? He didn't necessarily say that's what, you know, we, we sort of collaborate really well that way. Um, he expressed who they were and it was all very top secret. Um, of course I was literally the last person in the recording booth, uh, for the finale of, to finish, you know, these, these episodes and it was very bittersweet Mm. to say the least. Um, but then I just let my imagination soar. I just tried to really, um, I tried to really just embody the essence of, of what each one of these priestesses were to bring to the table in the most powerful way possible, like to the extreme, 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 you know? So I got to really play with my voice and, and none of them sound the same and none of them have like the same dialect. I just sort of made, made it up. Um, and he was really cool with that. And it was really fun to play pure anger or pure confusion or pure Mm. sadness. Yeah, yeah. That's, there's no subtlety, which no. I don't know. I don't know. That almost kind of seems like it would be easier for an actor because it's just so straightforward. There's, there's like it, I said, there's no subtlety. There's nothing really underneath the surface. What you see is what you get. It's interesting. Now that I think about it, when you say like no subtlety, it's that's. I think that that's not really. It's true, but it's not true. It's it's true in the sense of like. Sadness is sadness, but the depths of which of sadness that you have to go to to play that and the depths of despair or confusion or the depths of anger or the depths of joy, you really have to explore that. And and, and just the word joy in itself has many different levels and many different vibrations to it. And so 
you know, when you're playing, it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm just playing happy because then it would be one note. It's mm-hmm. it's playing playing it in its purity, which means all of the different colors and all of the different notes within that emotion. You know, yeah. joy to me is then elation, which is then ecstatic, which is then um, like revelation and happiness. So it's it's playing like all the other like little adjectives within that particular umbrella. So the, the, right, so there's a range within these different Always. emotions because you can be sad you can be a little bit sad you can be right. depressed you can be like horrified you can be you know there's, there's all a whole, yeah, a whole spectrum to it there's right. a whole spectrum of colors to any one emotion that's what makes any any like feeling being so fascinating that's why i love being an actor is that you know i don't sit around with my work and say oh you know this line she's like upset it would be like no in this line she is you know, mortified or in this line, she is, uh, disconcerted. I'm Mm, very, mm -hmm. very specific in the words that I choose to use. It was something that I was taught by, um, my acting teacher. His name is Trevor Moretz. He's Chloe Moretz's brother. He coaches, um, Chloe and I, Mm. and there's, um, this sort of secret paper we pass around called the vocabulary of emotions. And it's this really unique, um, technique of acting where it's all of those different kinds of words, like, you know, every single emotion that you could possibly feel, like, there's, like, 50 of them, right? right? And then within those 50 different emotions, there's, like, another, like, 60 different words related to that in a light, medium, or heavy form. And so when you're going through, you get very – you really laser in on on um, the very, very specific word or tone that you're going for and by doing that with every single word you really create the most multifaceted performance that you could possibly give because that's what human beings are we switch from one version of happiness to a different version of happiness in like 0.2 seconds like so fast Hmm. and and that's really the key to giving a very layered performance kyle what kyle what is it like to be married to uh the highest form of force deity we have met so far It's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> Talk Which about means- midichlorians being off the charts in young James Knight. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really cool. I mean, and for these, I didn't – previously I'd gone to the recording booth with Jamie. I'd pop in and say hi to, to Dave and all the – everybody at Margarita Mix and, you know, see what other actors were there. But the way it worked out with these was I wasn't available to go. So they came as more of a surprise to me. Um, she told me a little bit about it, but when I saw him for the first time, um, it was like a real revelation. It was it was cool, and it became very clear that these characters, and I know Davis said it too, are more powerful than even or different. Um, but you know, in a, I think he said the the people on Mortis, um, you know, saw things in a more limited spectrum than the Force priestesses. You know, uh-huh. Jamie, um, speaking of those characters and in, in considering their complex and bizarre nature, um, I know you said that Dave sort of lets you kind of run free with it, but he obviously must have coached you along a little bit of the way, especially when it came to sort of describing what they're all about. Did it take you a while to understand? How did Dave explain to you who these characters were and what they were all about? You know, it's kind of interesting. Dave and I have a real, very strong shorthand with each other. We're very, very close. And, um, you know, we've had, we just have so many conversations about characters and acting and and filmmaking in general that we sort of don't have to say a lot to each other for us to understand what we're going for. 
Um, I don't know. That's the great thing about working with particular directors or actors or whatever. It's like you have uh, just an innate connection to each other. And so it wasn't some long-winded conversation that we had. But we sat down and had the conversation about who they were and what they meant to, um, to uh, you know, the, the, these episodes and why they were so important. And we went from there, you know, and then if, if something needed to be changed, then, you know, he would have told me that. But he knows that my imagination is very vast and big and my reverence for Star Wars. And so I, you know, he, when he gave me the, um, when he gave me the work to do, I just really delved in and did my own personal work on it and then brought it to the stage and did it. Awesome. Well, and you know what we should mention that you, Kyle and Jamie are both, you're both broadcasting live from Skywalker ranch right now. So this is, this is pretty cool to actually have you guys at the ranch, the place where star Wars is created and where it comes from. And, so that kind of gives me an extra vibe through the force too. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, this this place is special. It feels, Paradise. It feels like that planet. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, what's the name of that planet? Did they ever give it a name? I was looking for that. You know, I haven't found it. Because it was not Mortis, right? It was not Mortis. Mortis was a oh, giant no, pyramid no, no. in space. Mortis I, didn't it, even it look was like a planet. special forest planet. It was like I I don't even. Yeah, let's just call it the Force Planet. That's what we can call it. I like that the the the, the planet of the Force. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you know, this starts out, you know, kind of um, simply enough as a a, a who done it a mystery. The the trail leading to the fate of Sifo uh, warms up a bit with a distress signal that is uh, received by the Jedi, and it turns up to be Saifadius's ship. Now, I'm looking for some help. So normally on these shows, I just ask a whole bunch of questions, but I need someone to connect the dots for me. I'm going to pick on Jimmy Mac because I know he's probably watched these more than once. All right. So walk me through, if you would, what we know to be true about the fate of Saifadius because there's, there's the official story that he died on Felucia, yeah. but yet they find the wreckage of his craft on this moon. So if you could just... Walk me through this, because this was the one part of this episode I found very confusing. All right. Well, they, the, the Jedi received this distress signal from this, this ship that was crashed on the moon. I don't know why it took them so long to receive the signal. It was obviously there for a decade, um, but uh, they investigated it. And uh, as it turned out, it was Sifo-Dyas's ship. And they found his lightsaber on board. So they realized that the story about Felucia was inaccurate. So that made them want to investigate the death of Sifo-Dyas. They, you know, they, they realized something fishy is going on here. Why is his ship and his lightsaber on one planet when he's said to have died on another planet? So that's, that's essentially it. What I don't understand is why it took them so long to retrieve this, this distressing that's the one thing that I don't understand. It must have just been, you know, lost in the internet for ten years. You know, somebody finally opened an email that they forgot about. Oh my goodness! Yeah, maybe or maybe the ship got a mandatory update to Mac OS ten, and uh, it just then all of a sudden decided to work. Who knows? But no, nonetheless, they got it. The distress signal comes through, and what we do find is that there's a cover up, 
and it's, it happened in the administration of uh, Chancellor Valorum. And he had uh, essentially the investigation of the death of Sifadius sealed. And it, the, the official word was that he perished while on a diplomatic mission between, uh, disp- I guess, uh, just uh, working out some sort of agreement between the different tribes on Felucia and that he died and that was the end of the story and it was sealed. So what do we think, Paul, if anything, Valorum, you know, he's an interesting character. We only see him for just a few minutes in, in episode one. And before, and he's just there to kind of set up the rise of Palpatine. And we kind of looked at him as though he was just sort of this this fool caught in this web. But does this perhaps make him guilty by association, or just guilty, or still just kind of the guy that um, happened to be presiding over all these terrible events? <laughs> well, I think I think they they may have initially cast Terence Stamp because it was. He's hard to read, you know, as an actor. You kind of look at mm. him and you think, is he playing a bad guy? Is he playing a good guy? Yeah, right. And he's often kind of cast in, in both positions. So um, I think in the movies I didn't have a, have a clue where he stood. And, and you kind of felt like he's maybe just, you know, Palpatine's fool guy or he's getting the blame for a lot of things. And he's just kind of quite an ordinary kind of quiet politician. But in this, I think they made it quite clear that he just, I think he was just a bit clueless. I think he had no idea what was going on. I think it was completely... You know, outside of of what he was dealing with and uh, what happened, kind of happened to him, rather than him having anything involved, you know, to do with it. Ah, so but, uh, still, so you don't really see any duplicity in him. He's just kind uh, of I think a hapless he was just standby day to day of doing his job and didn't really kind of notice what was going on. You know, I think he was maybe a little a little neglectful at the worst. You know, how's the rest of the panel feel about that? Is it? Uh, I anybody? think he's well. He's always been a beleaguered figure, um, so I think this was something he's never come across as malicious and even the way they've expanded him in books and stuff, he's never been like underhanded. I mean, that would have taken a shade away from Palpatine. Uh, so he was, I think he was always played. So I started to wonder, did um, Palpatine have an early influence on this? And obviously this was before he was who he was. He was still just a, a, a lowly Senator, but um, this was all of his design. And, you know, I think that if he was complicit in it, Valorum, it would have taken away from the plan of ah. Palpatine. So I think he's completely played. So he's no just, shades uh, of no shades of gray here. Otherwise, it would it would dilute Palpatine's rise and his. He, it's his similar evil. to what happens to the Jedi in that he is forced to do things out of his traditional wheelhouse that probably make him feel off, make him feel guilty, make him realize that he's he's bending his morals. But he had no other choice but to kind of do it in an underhanded way where I'm not going to tell everybody that we are sending him on this mission because of – I think he talks about all it would have you know caused all this debate and it would have become public and it was best to do it off the record. So that's how he was played the same way the, Je- the Jedi eventually played is that he had to do things that probably he wasn't comfortable with but that was the only way to do it considering the political climate. So really, his only function in this episode, I think, um, at this point, Jim, is to actually lead the breadcrumbs back to this attache that he sent with Sifo-Dyas, and also to either credit or discredit the claims that there was another Jedi involved and on this particular mission. Yeah, um, you know, Palpatine's hiding behind the fact that he wasn't in the office 
at the time this happened. It's all a matter of convenience for him. So he can pass the buck on to Valorum, and then that way it won't reflect back on him. So he's just, you know, Valorum is being used by Palpatine to shield Palpatine's actual involvement in the death of Sifo-Dyas, which is direct. I mean, this is all, he's manipulating everything. So with, uh, with Valorum, yeah, I mean, his, his purpose in the story is actually right. The, the breadcrumbs, no doubt about it. And to reveal that it was Silman who went with um, Sifo-Dyas to uh, go talk to uh, the, the, um, the Felucians. And the, the pikes, actually. Now, we saw the pikes before, right? Weren't they in the yeah. Poison Snapple? No, 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 no. Those were the Mugans. Those were the Mugans. Okay, these were the ancient Egyptian-looking guys. The, the parts were from Eminence, I believe. That was. Yeah. Is that what it was? I, I know we saw them before. Yeah, they, they were from the Lawless Ark, the um, Mandalore takeover with Maul. Uh, Maul brought the pikes in at the end of that episode and then they went to um they became part of the the final piece of their army with black sun and the huts forces before they went and invaded mandalore right they're the spice spice traders the the and and i and what's interesting about this and i i thought it was just a, a little glimpse into the politics of star wars and george's brain is that the reason that that valorum allegedly sent uh, the jedi to handle this on Felucia with the Pikes was so that it wouldn't raise to the level of what we saw with the Trade Federation, where, you know, we know that what the Trade Federation was doing to Naboo in episode one was not cool. And, you know, common sense tells you that anybody with a brain would realize that this wasn't kosher and they would, you know, pass some sort of sanction against them. But so, so what Valorum was trying to avoid was that with the Pikes. He didn't want to give them the legitimacy. So he dispatched the Jedi to sort of uh, squelch this. And it made me wonder, Paul, was that what he was trying to do uh, when he sent uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon onto Naboo? Was he trying to just kind of get this handled quickly and get it under the carpet like he did with sifo and the, the Pikes? I, I think he just kind of knew for a fact that, that you know, I think, I think, I'm sure that he at least sensed, you know, that there was a massive risk of somebody just kind of going, oh, yeah, Palpatine's behind all this, you know? And, and he probably just thought, crikey, we better get this stamped on immediately, you know, or I'm, I'm in big trouble and my plans are completely out in the open. So, I mean, I just kind of got the impression that it was just like the most extreme kind of form of you know damage management he could he could do you know just dispatch somebody out straight away to kind of cover it all up but uh do you think he you think he was covering for palpatine well um yeah i mean i i don't know it's confusing the politics to be honest jason i, I tend to go sideways on it quite a lot. <laughs> you know I mean, yeah I, I i just kind of saw it as a very simple kind of like okay his cover's going to get blown and and um he's going to pull in you know pull stop pulling strings in every direction and whether they're aware of it or not it's like it's it's in there. all the bad guys. It's in their interest to kind of like keep things kind of quiet and covered up. So, well, you know what? It's funny. You know the word cover up. Uh, we actually hear it. That that word, uh, that term is is spoken by none other uh, Kyle than than Yoda himself. Yoda is advocating cover up. Well, I think at that point he's realizing that he doesn't have the information to do anything else, and rather than react and let your enemy know you know you play along until you 
come up with your plan. Yeah, but wait a minute. Hold on a second. Well, wasn't this a little bit more about like what we hear with our with our own government? Like, yeah, the people can't handle the truth. So no one can know that the that the orders to manufacture the clone army, the people that are defending us, was actually manipulated by the guy we're fighting. I I know the comparison you're trying to make. I don't think it's as it's as elevated as that because they are they know and they believe they're doing good yet they know that the thing everything in their faculty is wrong that's been handed to them so they don't know they're completely confused so it's not like they're doing this in a sinister way by lying to people their ultimate goal is to find out the truth and make it right and Yoda's making that judgment that at this juncture for us to come forward with this information, it would we would definitely lose the republic to the separatists because no one they, we wouldn't have the will of the people behind it. Right now, the clones are doing something good and they're defending the republic. They don't know the complexity of how they've been duped. So hmm. that's what the only thing he can do is wait. And it's um, it, they got to get more information. And it's interesting, you know, he does visit. Palpatine in this episode and and they ask him, you know, did you have any success with the Chancellor? And he says, you know, as much success as usual, you know, which is nothing. Right, right. And he, it's right outside his door and I just wonder, like, how much does Yoda consider him a suspect? I know they've alluded to that in Expanded Universe books that they were on to him at a certain point and we're nearing that that point where it would mesh with the, the EU arc of it, but you think that these guys would be a little more on it if they're making these observations about him that he's I, I wondered that too you know that's a good point Jim I guess I kind of liken it to Palpatine is the eye of the storm right mm-hmm. and so there's all this chaos surrounding him and by the time you finally make your way and battle and plunge your way to him and he's this benevolent sweet kind nice man that I I I almost don't really blame the Jedi for not seeing him because he's right under their nose. Right, right. And he appears to be an advocate for them. He appears to be using his resources to aid them along the way. As a matter of fact, we've even seen in the past uh, episodes of Clone Wars where he's, he's publicly saying that they are the Jedi are there to help. Underneath it all, he's he's stirring up mistrust in them. He's creating an environment where they get backed into a corner, essentially. He makes their decisions for them along the way. So, yeah, it's real. Uh, I mean, he's the ultimate puppet master. We've talked about it time and time again on the show. And, um, you know, he's pulling all the strings. But what I, what I find interesting about this story arc on a whole isn't necessarily any revelations about Palpatine's role in the Clone Wars, but more about Qui-Gon Jinn and his role in, in discovering the path to Jedi immortality and how everything sort of ties into him, including Mortis and including this vision Yoda gets as we move deeper into the uh, the arc. And Dagobah. And Dagobah. And Dagobah, which I, you know, um, Dagobah felt a little shoehorned in there for me. Um, I mean, this uh, these episodes were, honestly, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll say, um, 
by far, in my opinion, um, the most satisfying episodes of the entire series. I mean, just period. For me, the most satisfying. But they're, of course, not without you know need for some some uh, some picking apart. And Dagobah was one of those that I thought, why? I mean, I understand why not Dagobah, but why Dagobah? At that point, I, I didn't feel that it really. Um, you know, offered anything that some other planet couldn't. Help me well, out. Why, why Dagobah? Went quicker to the mysterious Force Priestess's planet, but I think they wanted him. They wanted to. They did want to set up that this is a place where Yoda could and would go back to. Um, and I, I do also think that uh, they wanted to have an, a solo experience of Yoda and Qui Gon without getting the Force Priestesses in yet, and it allowed Yoda to have that vision. But so that, so Dagobah was necessary for the, the, the kind of unfiltered communion with Qui-Gon. My big thing is, well, it's, just, it's, not, it's probably never going to get answered, but right. how did Qui-Gon come in contact with the Force Priestesses? Did he come in contact with them specifically? Did he come in contact with someone else? And then now in this new consciousness, he shepherds Yoda towards the Force Priestesses, or were they specifically the, the characters who trained him? When did he do all this? Like, you know, it's interesting. Just, in the uh, Revenge of the Sith novelization, he reveals to Yoda, because there is a sequence yeah. at the end of Revenge of the Sith, at least in the novelization. So it must have been considered for the script at some time where Yoda communicates with Qui-Gon Jinn. And, scripted. Yeah. And you actually hear their communication. And so he said he was uh, taught how to live how to maintain his his identity beyond death through the force he was taught by a shaman of the wills and so i thought the priestesses were the wills but i brought that up to feloni and he said no 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 they're not well he said i heard that but he said no we didn't we didn't specifically george didn't say they were it didn't mean they weren't right he didn't say george are these the wills and george said no they're not didn't he say they just never got specific about it well, I guess I guess there's no one's ever really gotten specific about the wills in general, so we don't even know what they are, who they are, or where they come from. So I would it's assume kind this is the closest you're going to get to a representation of the wills, if there ever would be one on screen, or this is at least based on you know the analysis of that is the George's thought process is if Qui Gon was taught by a shaman of the wills, and here we're seeing. Qui-Gon get taught, that is, if the wills were ever really mentioned, which they never were in filmic canon, this would be the representation of them when you correlate all that data together. And this, well, in George's yes. mind, it sounds like this is the wills, well, I, uh, whatever this, they're called. This is it sort of the way, the way I sort of justified it was, and I've heard George use this quote before, famous quote about when the, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I always looked at, you know, one of the things that George laid groundwork on in episode one was that Qui-Gon had a, a higher understanding and appreciation of the living force more so than any other Jedi of, of his, of his era. And that, that would have probably positioned him, um, at, you know, at some point to where, whether it's the shaman or whether it's the priestesses or whatever, to uh, appear to them because these priestesses and and even the the characters in Mortis they know what's coming they all know that the dark side is on the rise and that unless they take action and start working with those in the 
real world, so to speak, um, they, they don't stand a chance. They don't stand a chance. And of course, Qui-Gon dies and his ability to affect real change in the living universe uh, is 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 lessened, obviously. So they move on to Yoda, perhaps even at Qui-Gon's suggestion. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of how I assume that there was some sort of training or some sort of communion uh, between Qui-Gon and these priestesses or a shaman or what have you off screen. I totally buy it. It's fine. And, I, and it's obvious, by the way, that Qui-Gon is treated in episode one that he wouldn't, you know, bring it up to the council and say, hey, guess who I met? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, he keep that to himself. Right. In As fact, Yoda, are- I mean, you know, they spend a good deal of this episode, Jimmy, just trying to find out if Yoda's still sane. That's true. And so he he gets hospitalized. And this is where I get this is where I get off the beaten path a little bit and start thinking really outside the box and consider the fact that Yoda doesn't actually even physically travel to Dagobah or travel to Moraband or any of those planets that all of this is happening while he's laying there in the hospital bed and he is just journeying through the force and going on this quest all in his his head essentially it's a force quest it's not necessarily something he physically does really you, you never you never see him actually like return to well, Yoda does go to Dagobah because he goes with R2 does he See, that's what I'm saying. I mean, could this all he just... He has a vision of Dagobah in the deprivation tank, and then he physically goes there. The tank is another thing. What if he's just in deep meditation in the tank the whole time, and that's where he goes on this wild trip? And then when he comes to, that's, you know, the next thing you see is, is it's the end of the episode, and he's talking to uh, Anakin about going in front of the council and reporting or he's talking to obi-wan and mace i think it was and uh why is it whenever anything gets trippy in the clone wars it's always a lot of flowers around (laughs) (laughs) but that's what i'm saying though is is i listen i'm only considering it i'm not saying that that's how i believe that these episodes were constructed but i'm just saying that Perhaps all of this stuff happened in Yoda's mind while he was meditating, and he never actually physically went on these journeys. Jamie, when you were working on these episodes with Dave, I know one of the things that came up a lot during the the Mortis trilogy for us here on the show was, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, the the, the difference between uh, reality and, and and fantasy and illusion and all of that. Did Dave talk to you about the priestesses in terms of how grounded in reality they are or if they're a fantasy or if they're illusion? Did you get into any of that? No, I mean, the idea, well, the idea is that they're completely real. You know what I mean? Mm. Even if it was illusion or fantasy or whatever, you always play it as if they're 100% real. Otherwise, it has no impact for him and in his journey. Good point. Right. You know what I mean? So it doesn't like that. That's sort of like a a non-issue. It's Mm. always about playing everything as authentically and as true to life as possible because you're if anything, they're taking him through the most authentic and most true journey that he's ever experienced. You know, they have to be the ultimate people to show him all of his fears to to really put him through the test. And by doing that, they have to be feel to him bigger and more powerful and more tangible than anything in his life. And he, and it is, they, I mean, they have to be real. He takes a physical ship there. He brings 
R2D2, which is somewhat, in, to my knowledge, incapable of. Oh, they're 100% real. I just didn't know if they meant throughout the, end, the whole time. They end with masks on the shore at the end of, um, you know, that episode. The, you know, there's a definite difference between them, the form they could take and the form they don't take. And they take that for Yoda's sake. And obviously they're ever-present and, and omniscient because they're able to feel out into the galaxy and find that, okay, Qui-Gon is on one level, whereas uh, Ki-Adi Mundi's not even on their radar. Like, Qui-Gon pops up. That's why they take right. an interest. And probably the same way Yoda doesn't share this information with anyone else, and the way Qui-Gon instructs him to, you know, they were, Qui-Gon was probably instructed not to tell anybody else. Qui-Gon met an untimely end. I think they're all, it's all very real. And what's, what's also powerful about it is the metaphor, the comparison to Luke's journey. And if you look at it, is um, Luke is ultimately guided by the spirit of someone else uh, that he looked up to or mm-hmm. had some mm-hmm. closeness with, and this mm-hmm. is Qui Gon. He travels through this threshold. There's an Obi Wan. Obi Wan, right? You're talking about Luke, talking about Luke and Obi Wan. He's just like almost. It parallels Luke. So oh, I see. I see. Through this okay. Nebula fl- threshold. He gets to a planet that he knows nothing about, nor has he ever heard of. He encounters these people who put him through trials and they send him on these tests just like Yoda with the cave and you know he emerges from it in a and he's trained very late in his life it's it, you know it's the kind of thing where it's all Yoda's already formed in his ways but then he's granted this new uh path and he's the only one that's granted it just like the way Luke is the only one they're going to put their faith in and there's all these cool parallels to you know Luke's hero's journey to Yoda's rebirth hero journey. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's almost like a whole second level of Jedi training that he experiences. Um, it's the ultimate level. I don't think right. there's anything beyond well, it's, it. It's there's not even Jedi. It's force it's training. Force training. Uh, so we've we've emerged. We've actually transcended Jedi Sith at this point. This is about this the force. Is clearly transcended Jedi Sith, but the big one of the big questions is raised for me. Thinking again was if there, Qui Gon uses this terminology. He says, "I have been tasked to guide you forward. You have been chosen as I was before you." And he says, "The force of the light side must remain." So these people are acting on behalf of that, or as balancers, correct? So are these the same forces who brought about Anakin? as a virgin birth. Um, but if they are, then why would they do this if they knew Anakin was the ultimate balancer who was destined to do that? They say you're the one who will train the balancer. So to me, this is implying that Anakin was created outside of even these people. See, wait a minute, though. You know what? You know what? Instinctual force. But you know what, Kyle? Though? When I, when, if, if I remember right, they say that to Yoda. And Yoda's Why the one that ends up... This is some of it's Qui-Gon saying to him, to Yoda. Yes, right. But but, he, but Yoda is who's, who trains Luke. The priestesses are the, the ones who say, say you will train the one who will bring balance to the force. They're saying this to, to Qui-Gon. They're, no, the no, priestesses to, say that to Yoda. Yoda. To Yoda. So my yeah. thing is... But so that's Luke. No. Yeah, not Anakin. Anakin. Well, they do say there is another Skywalker to him. Yes, yes, but I, I, I always interpreted this. My interpretation of Star Wars is that Anakin is the one who he's prophesized. 
he, he darkens the force and, talking and to then Dave, he, you're correct. and he, and he's the balancer of the force. Luke is the conduit, which opens him up. Luke and yo, Luke and, and Anakin are not, I know they're Jedi return of the Jedi. They're not really Jedi because they just, they throw away the Jedi and they believe in love and attachment. And if you really look at it, it's also in the novelization, which kind of got sacrificed. But the reason Anakin never achieves it prior, the reason the Sith will never achieve this this oneness with the Force, is because of love. They don't understand. But wait, wait, but wait a minute, though. The, the priestesses say you will train, you will train the Balancer. They don't say you have. No, you will train. You will, meaning in the future. Right, but Yoda's not. Yoda's already trained. Actually, Yoda probably didn't even train Anakin all that much. Well, but th- I think I they're talking greater, about Luke. It's like a greater extension. From my understanding, from the conversation that we have with, that I have with Dave, it's in reference to Anakin. Hmm. Who knows if Yoda's been also communicating with Anakin, working on him from another side? Who? Know, how did Anakin ultimately learn how to become a, a Force ghost? Well, that's that. Yeah, that that's. I was going to bring that up. I'm glad you did because we can we can justify uh, Obi Wan's ability. Obviously, he spent time uh, studying while on Tatooine. But I think and, Anakin's above everything. Anakin is outside of everything created by the Force. Even these people know Anakin is outside of them. He is a he is a living force nexus, not created by this planet. He's because they say they say to Qui Gon says to him like the light side needs to be balanced. Need we need the light side to prevail to keep the balance. That's why Qui Gon has been tasked. That's why Qui Gon is tasking Yoda. So it's they're operating for Team Light Side. Whereas Anakin is a balancer of the Force in a much more objective way. He's created by the Force itself. Yeah, I think they should have been much more clear. I think the two – I mean I'm not, I'm not doubting what, what both of you are saying. I'm, I'm thinking that for the sake of clarity and storytelling, they should have been much more discreet about this being Anakin and not Luke. Because as you know, to Jimmy's point, um, not only do they say y- you will train the balancer, and, speaking in the future tense, but they're, they're also saying that – uh, you know, they they dropped the line. There is another Skywalker. By the way, and Tom Kane really re, re, uh, redid that line just beautifully, just like at the end of. Well, episode seven, that. we'll have to get into that, Jason. <laughs> I think if that's what it is, then yeah. it needs to be clarified there. Ah, okay. okay. Because that's an important part. Did everything get resolved at the end of six? Was Anakin not the balancer? Was he not the prophesized one? It all has to get addressed. I in, did actually do if you're that. Gonna, line. If you're going to do that. The priestesses did say that line. There will be another Skywalker. Yeah, that's the last thing that your character, yeah, yeah. that they say, and then you kind of hear it fade into Tom King's yes. Yoda. So a very, very cool moment. A very cool moment. All right, Paul, you've been awfully quiet. Come on, come on, I'm way in cool here. Explore it because they're they're inside it. You know what's that? I'd let the cool people explore it because I know. I know, what, do you, I know what, do you, what, what do you mean? Well, okay. Well, let me ask you. What are some of the what What are some of the visual cues that we should be picking up on? I mean, the way that the way that all of this is is laid out for us. I mean, uh, not monkey. So it did tend to be a bit one dimensional, but I've got a lot of stuff to kind of you know throw in that's not a visual. Well, please, please throw it in. Throw it in. You know, obviously, you know, Campbell is 
a place that I kind of live quite comfortably and I've read a lot of Campbell's stuff. Um, but the, uh, something that I don't think people kind of talk about a great deal is is uh, Carlos Castaneda's Tale of Power, which which um, Lucas read just before he started writing Star Wars. And it was very, very kind of current and very much in his mind when he was writing the original Star Wars movie. Uh, and if you read the tale of Tales of Power, there's a lot of stuff in there that, that very much relates to the, the kind of relationship between many of the Jedi and their apprentices throughout the saga. Um, and one of the things that I kind of like saw popping up in this was quite a lot of kind of Castaneda type sort of scenarios. The whole kind of thing of, I mean, the whole kind of Greek chorus that, that you know, Jamie so wonderfully kind of portrayed and stuff. Uh, one of the things I kind of felt about those was that they almost felt like you could you could half trust them and half not trust them. You know, like a lot of mythological kind of, you know, helpers. You know, you find that they're, they're quite often kind of tricksters or mischievous or changeable like the, like the elements because, you know, they're such a kind of representation of the universe and a rep- mm. representation of nature that, that, like the weather, you know, they can kind of turn on a dime and you've got no idea whether or not, you, you know, what, what to expect or, or, or what to believe in, in this case. So I, I've, I've, I'm kind of quite comfortable with not, always understanding what their position is and what they're thinking and what their motivations are. And um, although I do, I, I agree, and it's obvious that, you know, with Jamie having spoken to Dave and whatever, she's obviously got a much kind of more concrete idea of, of what the scenario actually was. You know, I, I just kind of assumed that, that you know, that, um, that they were interested in kind of, you know, keeping the balance, but they weren't necessarily, you know, all, all rose, rosy and, and full of lightness. But, um, so really, in a lot of ways, it's really about taking him to his ultimate truth. Yeah. They're so far beyond, like, light and dark. It's so far beyond that for them. They're, like, way outside of that. They're taking him to his highest, highest level. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. they're not interested in, in one or the other. They're interested in him, whether he can be able to, to really handle the test that they're going to put him through. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, to truly transcend him in a way that no one else can be transcended in this in this universe. They're the only people that can do this. I kind of felt like it was it fulfilled something that I've been wanting to see in the, in the Clone Wars right from the beginning. I mean, I remember mentioning to you guys like right at the very start, like that I, I kind of felt like I was really positive about the Clone Wars right away because the very first episode was about Yoda. And then we had six seasons with almost nothing about Yoda. <laughs> and then, like, so for the last trilogy, just sort of like the last uh, quadrology or whatever, to be all about Yoda and explore the, you know, the kind of spiritual side of, of Yoda's kind of character to this extent was very satisfying to me. And I was delighted that this was the choice they made for the last four episodes and was very moved by the very ending of, of, of the whole sort of show, which, you know, we're, I was getting ahead of myself. But the, the whole stuff about kind of like descending into the belly of the beast and the fact the fact that it was kind of like... I mean, visually, you know, it's such a kind of Miyazaki land, you know, kind of very, you know, lots of kind of sparkly dust and all that kind of stuff. Felt felt very Ralphie and very Miyazaki at the same time. It felt very magical and, and without being kind of corny or resorting to anything that was too kind of, you know, My Little Pony. <laughs> it, felt, it, felt, it felt kind of wondrous rather than just kind of, you know, silly. But um, I, thought the, I thought the whole, all, all four episodes were fantastic, like design-wise, right from the very start. And I... I, I very definitely kind of got the impression that they were trying to kind of turn the volume up on like look what we've achieved and what we can achieve because right from the very start when they were kind of you know they were looking and they found the 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 beacon and and uh and the lightsaber you know i kind of looked i was looking at it thinking like wow look at the atmosphere and the mm, all, oh yeah all the particulate matter and and all of a sudden we had a clone trooper with a, with a like a reflective helmet like a metallic finish which 
like metallics is something we don't really see in in the Clone Wars, or we haven't really seen. So that that all kind of felt like the kind of tin in the dial up to to twelve, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought visually and and uh, psychologically, it was it was full of kind of questions. But I, I felt like it was necessary for them to answer some stuff, and I felt that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the great thing about these plots is that is that you know as as many answers as they gave us, I felt like they threw up, threw up lots of new questions that were were just as interesting. You know, so I thought they they hit the hit the level of kind of disclosure just right. You know, I kind the, of felt like I, I'll say one thing that that and, and I don't know if I'm I'm reading too much into it, but uh, Jimmy, one of the things that I thought that it answered was a little bit of information about Yoda and maybe even Yoda's species. Um, you know, Dark Yoda that we met, um, you know, was not, you know, I'm trying to think that if we would have met, let's say that that would have been a human, um, would their dark version be quite so aggressive and beast-like as Yoda was, as Yoda's dark was? Would they have been more, you know, I'm thinking if it would have been the dark side of Luke or an Anakin, would it have been much more smug and, you know, the arrogant uh, vain side but this Yoda, this dark Yoda, was growling and gnashing teeth. And I'm wondering, could it be that this is a – could it be that this is kind of what Yoda's species is a, is like? You know what I think it's more representative is Yoda's actual powers that he possesses within the light side of the force. He's so powerful in the light side of the force. Obviously, his dark side, his hubris, would be extremely powerful. So you're seeing a direct reaction to the positive as a negative. Because Yoda is so powerful in the light side, his dark side is equally as powerful should it become unleashed. Yes, that's what I feel. But I think, Jason, what you're saying is his dark side is not an intellect. Look at Dooku as a dark side, and he's like, I'm Count Dooku, dude, like a glass of wine. Right, (laughs) right. It's, (laughs) Yoda's is a feral, uh, but I look at it more like the Hobbit and Gollum being a fallen Hobbit, he becomes... You know, he's chomping on fish heads and, like, bashing people with rocks. And, And yeah, it unlocks something deeper and primitive. And that is the other – if Yoda was to snap and how composed and calm and almost playful he is and holds it all together, 900 years of holding it all together, if he snapped – would he go so insane that he was, like, (laughs) Silmon level? Right, right. And that's kind of, I think, what they're showing is that if he snapped and he did go that way, he would go, he would just let the monster come forward. Whereas, you know, Duke or other people much more refined, I would say, you know, Sidious's dark side is, is it's much more sadistic than even Dooku's. Yeah. Um, you know who is Miles is a much more brutal and aggressive, you know? You know who has a lot to say about these episodes, and particularly the dark side Yoda, is Sam Witwer. And Sam is standing by right now. He wants to jump in on the conversation. Whoa. So, yeah, Sam has been, I, he sent me an uh, instant message. What are you doing? I said, talking about dark side Yoda. You want to jump in? And so he's, uh, yeah, he, he wants to come on. So, Jason, if you want to bring sure, on Sam. absolutely. 
He's standing by. Let's see. And I know he's got a few things to say about Dark Side Yoda. Sam, of course, was one of the first people to actually see these episodes. He was out at uh, Lucasfilm in December and was there for the first public screening of these episodes. And so Sam's had a lot of time to think about these uh, episodes and the Dark Side Yoda and the story arc. So uh, is Sam around? Yeah, you know, I still haven't come up with anything, guys. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, forgot all about it. That's yeah. uh, that's some contribution. Uh, no, all right. I, I really don't even know what <laughs> what are we talking about. I'm, I'm well, sorry. it was we, we were we were discussing uh, evil Yoda, and and I I threw out the idea that what were we glimpsing um, them kind of giving us a sense of what Yoda's species might have been like nine hundred years ago. And that this is the Kyle used the term kind of feral and and, and beastly, uh, or is it just really a manifestation of the complete opposite of what we know of Yoda in his his dark side? Well, what's I, I'm sure you guys have said this uh, so far, so please forgive me for for being redundant. But what's really wonderful about all these episodes is that we're talking about all of these things. You know, I mean. It could be that it could be any of those things. That's that's what's so great about about all these provocative images is that it gets your imagination going and you really have no idea uh, the depth of what it is that you're seeing. For my part, I thought this is the most depraved, messed up, everything that was messed up about this guy's psyche all wrapped up in one shriveled little (laughs) package, Um, you know, and uh, and I do love how Yoda is forced to deal with it, you know, because as I'm watching it. Uh, Yoda's fighting back, and you're thinking, "Yeah, but that's not right. <laughs> you shouldn't yeah. be doing that." And it isn't, it isn't until he pauses and uh, sort of embraces it that it that its its power is diminished. You know, I just love that. I, I thought that the real slam dunk was when when uh, evil Yoda threw up the whole concept of war. Yes, to, to real Yoda. You know, the oh, decadence of war. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it, Dave Filoni, I remember before these episodes came out, he mentioned to me that he felt that they hadn't really made it clear that the Yoda from The Empire Strikes Back is not the Yoda from The Phantom Menace. It's a different guy. That by The Empire Strikes Back, he's, he understands wars not make one great. And, you know, Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. That he's gotten back to the fundamentals of what, it's, what the morality is about. And at this point, in, in time, in the Clone Wars, they're too wrapped up in the war and the practicality of what it is that they feel they have to do, and, and they've lost their spiritual truth. They've lost the thematic truth of what the Jedi are. So, you know, it's... Uh, so, yeah, the, the Dark Yoda calling him out for living in the decadence of war, it was just a wonderful little touch. Well, Sam, well, since we have you on, let's talk a little bit about the, the climax of these, uh, of these episodes. You know, Yoda's going through a, a series of challenges. Um, there's, a, there's a little bit of a Christmas Carol aspect. He's seeing the ghosts of um, Jedi past and Jedi yet to come. Um, but at the end, we see this... We see him go to Moraband, which is the was it Moraband? I can't I think I can't it's Moraband. Moraband, um, which is the the Sith homeworld as we've come to know it, and which, by the way, is is Korriban. Which is Korriban for the it's the, for those of you reading along. There's you know <laughs> it's our, now called Bad a name. Ba- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Bad a Name. <laughs> hey, by the way, is, is Jamie with us? 
Yes. Oh, that's so cool. That's so Hi, cool. Hi, Sam. Hi, Jamie. How are you? You did such a wonderful job. I love. I'm. I love what you did. It was Thank one, you so really much. Amazing. Thank you. Well, I was so, now that we have Sam who plays the son. I mean, we the, you talk about force power between the priestesses. Sam is the son. I mean, this is this is off the charts. This really is. Doesn't get more gangster than these. It, <laughs> okay. Indeed not. Indeed not. All right. So so the finale. So Yoda is is told to go to Moraban where where the identity of the Sith Lord will be revealed to him. So on the other side of this, we get this sense that Dooku knows something's up. He gets he gets called to Coruscant by Palpatine, and they perform this ritual. And this ritual is to, in my in my opinion, Sam was was to throw Yoda off the scent. It was to throw this um, this ghost of Sifo-Dyas, this illusion of a Sifo-Dyas, to kind of confuse and stop Yoda from discovering. Uh, Palpatine's identity. No, I should give Kiedi no. Mundi props because he did say that this could happen, and here it's happening. Remember, he warned them and said they could use your former master to get to you. Yep. Or your oh, yes, yes that's true. Closeness. And here he actually is using. Oh my God, his- Kiedi yeah. Mundi actually contributes something to the Star Wars universe. Other than, <laughs> other than a dodgy mustache. Right. Yeah. right. right. In and the Conehead. craziest, yeah, Conehead and the craziest eyebrows. Uh, I, crazy, crazy. All right. So, um, so that was, that's kind of what I was thinking was that this was, this was a, a Hail Mary by, by Palpatine to make sure that he doesn't make the, uh, Yoda doesn't make the identification, but he gets so much, you know, in terms of visions of things that are yet to come. He sees, the murder of the Jedi in Insidious's uh, chamber. He sees um, the dead. Um, he see he sees the the the, the final act of uh, of Mace Windu. He sees the the younglings sprawled on the floor. He he really sees all of this, and yet at the end, he says, "Yeah, not a lot happened." Well, well yeah, but that's that's the thing. He's he's realized that there's not there's not much that he can tell the Jedi, that they are really on, a, on the path that they're on and that r- revealing too much is only just going to confuse the matter that perhaps, you know, what are you going to say? Just, yeah, I, I learned that war is bad and let's just all quit. You know, like <laughs> that's, that's also handing that, that as surely as anything else is handing the kingdom over to Palpatine or Sidious or in, you know, that whole thing. I think <clears throat> in terms of what Sidious was trying to accomplish, it's the same thing that Sidious was trying to accomplish with Luke Skywalker. And he got off to a strong start with Yoda because Yoda, people overlook that in that transport, you know, when he arrived, he, he sort of, Sifo Dyas hisses at him. And the next thing you know, he's on a gunship and Anakin Skywalker's asking for orders. And Yoda the last line that Yoda has before you know we shoot into that big tower is, yeah, and if things don't go our way, we execute them. It's like, whoa, okay, mm. all right, Yoda, you, you're, you know, like, he's like, we got to take them alive. He's like, yeah, but what if we can? He's like, well, then we have to end it right now, execute them. And and so Anakin, what I love about uh, about that is Anakin was following Yoda's orders when he did what he did with Count Dooku, right. He was doing exactly what Yoda told him to do. And Yoda at that point, a moment was like, oh, maybe that's, ooh, maybe that was too far. Uh, it's ultimately ma- what Mace does. Yes, yeah. exactly. 
Exactly. And, so uh, they, and after this instance, they discussed it. So Mace going into that scenario knows that if they're not, he's not, not going to take him one way, we got to take him down another way. Because we, we are at such a point, like now that we have this clarity as to this army's not even ours, we're being played. If we have a chance to chop the head off of the, you know, one of these two, you'd take it. Right, right. And, and the thing is, is that so... Yoda goes in there, he's fighting Sidious, and the moment that Anakin falls unconscious and, and Sidious says, well, you know, can you save him, let him die, Sidious is basically trying to push Yoda along the path that he's already on, which is warfare. Yoda is the grand general of the army, for God's sakes. He's not, he's no longer the spiritual leader of the Jedi Council, you know, and the Jedi Order, he is, he's a general. And he's trying to put he's trying to plant more opportunities in, in, in Yoda's mind to think about to think in, in more of a warlike fashion. And the ultimate defeat of Sidious in these in these episodes is that Yoda realizes that by just letting Anakin go, letting him die, they're really letting go of the Jedi Order in terms of what it's what it's about, what the, their morality is supposed but, to be. But 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 he's tempted by Sidious yes. because and he and he rightfully says I mean this is the thing and Kyle you've mentioned this many times is that the Sith really never lie <laughs> because because what we hear Yoda or what we hear Sidious saying to Yoda is let him die and you'll stop everything that I'm about to do and there's another truth in this too back on the Pike's planet of Obadiah right it was Obadiah um, Tyrannus, which was great that they finally called him Tyrannus, and this really great tense scene as he's approaching before he kills Silmon, it all unfolds, and he says to, to Obi-Wan on that platform when he's surrounded, he says, everything I told you was true. When he says, you're Tyrannus? And he puts it all together, he's like, everything I told you back on Geonosis was, was true. And he yeah. reminds him that all I do is tell you the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they haven't, they don't play this uh, this game of Duplicity. I mean, they do, but they use the truth as their greatest weapon. It's the ultimate blade. It cuts harder than anything, which is a, it's a very powerful idea that what is their worst fear? They put it up right in their face and the Jedi deny it. Mm-hmm. He's held that up to Obi-Wan's face before. And here they are saying it again. He's saying it right to Yoda in the midst of this trial which was a bit trippy, this whole thing. I was like, who's really where, what? Exactly. Um, because I read, Lab- was it Labyrinth of Evil, where they do go, they do track him to the... Yes. I was like, is this also a premonition? Because they ultimately, don't they track Palpatine just before he's abducted at the, in the events of episode uh, three? Don't they track him to that industrial wasteland and then find a tunnel back to... The tower, and I was like, "Is this like a reference to that? That they're actually uh, they're going to get close to him? Is well, it like similar. this weird cycle?" That's it's happening? similar. It's similar in nature, but I believe that this is all a vision that Yoda's having. Anakin's not there. They don't confront Dooku and Sidious necessarily. But is it also a premonition. 
It's not it, just a you know vision so isolated much. for this illumination. What, what, I, what I, I think is really happening is that great scene where Dooku and Sidious are performing that ritual and they're standing in front of the cauldron and Sidious is using all this ancient Sith incantations and, and everything. That's really happening. And somewhere within the Force, Yoda's trip that he's on, his trial he's going on through the Force, intersects with... Sidious performing this ritual and they they actually do meet within the force itself via this this series of visions that they're both they're both yes. provoking and let's but, just remind everybody too that the 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 ghosts quote unquote that we see of the Sith they're not it's not magic it's the force priestesses that are activating that so it doesn't devalue the, the idea that the Jedi and ultimately Yoda and Obi-Wan are the first to keep their life beyond. That well, was, yeah, wasn't that a force priestess thing? And the force priestesses then step back and say, what's in this we are not a part of. And another thing was, was cool to show the power of Sidious in these was how he reached across planets, light years and force choked Dooku yeah. as a warning to show just how far he could reach with his ability, um, which was also – I was like, whoa, I've never really – have we seen somebody reach that far in no, the force man. and manipulate matter no, on never, the other side? We've no. never seen that before. I think that's something that can only be generated by the master-apprentice relationship. They have a connection within the dark side of the force, so they can perform you know, these acts of ins- insane strength and power by, by doing something like that. Yeah, the, the, ultimately, what I loved about all these visions, and especially the one where Sidious is trying to get into Yoda's head, is that what is the one thing Sidious cannot tolerate, which is it's the principles of the Jedi Order. You know, when Luke Skywalker says to Sidious, I am a Jedi like my father before me, that is the ultimate slap in the face for Darth Sidious because he's been trying to stamp out those principles for all time. And what he's trying to do is to erode Yoda's principles. You know, if he can keep pushing Yoda and therefore the Jedi down this warlike path and for them to keep fighting, it's just like when Yoda fought Dark Yoda. But the more he fought, the more he was defeated. When he embraced what was happening, and he just reached out, that's when he uh, actually... All right, Sam, you just gave me a thought. You just gave me yeah. a thought. So, is do we see Yoda at the end of this whole arc when he's standing outside? Do we see him when he tells the, the other Jedi, you know, basically not much happened? I mean, I get the whole, hey, if I told them, they'd think I was insane. I get that. But is this also Yoda just sort of, I don't want to say he's taking a passive stance, but but maybe he is. Maybe he realizes to your point, what you just said, the f- more he fights back at this destiny, the worse things go. And do we see a Yoda that's just kind of almost letting things progress? Well, you know, in, in the, at the end of the Sifo-Dyas episode, everyone says to Yoda, are you sure we're on the right path? And Yoda says, well, I'm pretty sure we're on the wrong path, but it's the only path. Mm. So I think that Yoda understands that, look, we're, we're actually... It's this is already written at this point. The only thing we can do now is hold to our principles and hope that that's enough. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's sort of the feeling that I got. It wasn't necessarily a resignation, but it was a it, it was Yoda saying, "Listen, I was just given this information. There is another Skywalker. I have no idea what that means. It doesn't even <laughs> it doesn't even make sense to me right now." Right. But can I interject, please? Yes. 
Um, As the woman who said it. I have a message from someone on very high authority in regard to this conversation. Uh, They say there is another Yoda, or there is another Skywalker, and then Yoda sees off-screen his future, even older selves say there is another Skywalker, right? last words, yeah. As in Return of the Jedi, right before he dies. The priestesses exist without time or space. They are part of the cosmic and living force. It's very 2001, you know, where he sees himself, he keeps seeing himself ahead. So that's like he's, stu- he, he's seeing his future self say that line. Mm. I'll throw in. Please, Paul. Yes. I think, I think, I think uh, you know, this is why I mentioned Carlos Castaneda's Tale of Power in the first place was because a lot of this stuff kind of comes up. And this is a conversation that we had a long time ago when we were talking about the Mortis trilogy. I think it's very difficult for us as kind of like people of the 20th century to kind of appreciate the fact that, you know, and li- living in the West and what have you, we need to kind of, we need to understand things. We need to have black and white answers to things. And, and if you look at a lot of Campbell's writing as well as uh, Castaneda, the whole kind of issue of kind of spirit quests and spirit worlds and, and, you know, all these different kinds of kind of dream quest kind of environments that they create. Um, if you look at the, the stories when they were written, you know, quite often it was kind of irrelevant whether it was the real world or a spirit world or, or some other kind of fairyland or whatever. They were exactly the same. But for us as kind of 20th century people, we look at this and we kind of go, well, is it this or is it that? But it, within the sense of the stories, it's not really supposed to matter. And I, I realize that we want to know whether a thing is real or not. And we want to understand, you know, the, the kind of true full ins and outs of, of the experience that we've just kind of watched. But the whole kind of idea of those kind of tales is that, that whichever kind of environment they're in, whether it's a real world or a, or a world that's in their mind or, a, or a, an induced trance or anything like that, it doesn't really matter because they're having the same kind of experiences and they have the same effects on these characters because these characters are so kind of immersed in the force. So there's mm-hmm. a certain kind of like, I think we, we tend to focus on the wrong thing when it comes to these kind of adventures in that we kind of get caught up in like the reality of like, well, where are we and is it real? And, you know, for these characters, it doesn't really matter. They're having the same experience and the, the impact and the effect of these things is just the same. Maybe none of it's real, right, Paul? If we want to get yeah, real. Yeah, Yoda's deep. journey <laughs> and his discoveries are just as real and threatening. Look how real and threatening they are to Palpatine. The fact that he becomes conscious of it, he's so dialed in is actually worried about it, summons Dooku, and they actually have to go do it. It's having a real-world effect regardless of how we really accept the physicality of it. And I I do think everything Yoda's experienced has a physical component. The reason he's there in a ship and taking R2-D2 and it's not happening in a deprivation tank it's a very conscious thing. George would delineate, Dave would delineate, that it's, he's physically going somewhere. He has to physically escape from the temple, use Anakin to do this. He's going on a literal physical journey that also has a spiritual, metaphysical component. And that's having real-world effects on their nemesis that has to be dealt with in a real-world Sith ritual and it's tied into these priestesses who are representations of the cosmic and living force. And thank God, mm-hmm. Qui-Gon, how did he go out in round one of this is madness? I don't understand. People <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Don't understand the power of Qui-Gon. Hey, Kyle, uh, Kyle, this is my question for you. That is madness. <clears throat> okay. This is, this is my question for you. Um, when Yoda reaches Morban... 
it is obvious that he is going on a trip that is beyond the physical realm. He's jumping from one reality to the next to the next. That, that much is, is true. Right. So when does it actually start happening? And in, is Yoda just then physically, is his body just laying there on Moraband while he's tripping out? And, you know, or, or is he being actually like removed from the, 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 the real world environment? And it's all, like, he's, he, like, I think he's there. Like, he's there. He physically is seeing, like, he's walking through, he's seeing those, like Darth Bane. He's being, it, they're taking on a, physical visual form and it's not just in his head i think it speaks to the power of what the force is that it can do that the priestess's power in a level that they well, can this it's it, it's really fascinating it's really fascinating coming off of what paul's comments just were you know we're still yeah, we're still struggling it's, we're still struggling to to, to determine what's real and what's not and white. the fact is right. they're taking him on a journey that are that is the realest that it will ever be in order to propel him to a completely different level it doesn't yeah. matter where However, his body is where her, his body isn't because we are not in truth we are not our bodies we are souls we are spirits just walking around in this vehicle that is a body but that's not who we are we're so much greater than that and, it and that's just true for us as human beings. And Think it doesn't about, matter like, world. to Yoda what, what the point of this whole arc is to Yoda, why he's at such a, a spot where he's almost not complacent but accepting at the end with the force tree and where he gets to is that he's realized that I'm, I'm wrapped up in so much of the physical that there are all these other layers to it. And there are greater things at work. He's humbled by it that I, than I will ever understand. And I am going to give myself up to be a part of this process. Right. I am going to <laughs> learn this. I'm going to evolve in a way that maybe no Jedi has ever done. And I'm going to become a student again. And that is his arc. I'm going to be reborn yes. in a new way. And I'm going to let the Force guide me. And he's finally learning what Qui-Gon learned, which is true in that and you know where he's the, the deleted bit where he says, you know, our, you know, my old student and our new master in the Sith material that was not explored, which is the greatest crime on screen, <laughs> on film. But he's fi- that's what he's saying is, I'm going to be a student again. I'm going to learn. I'm not going to feel. I'm not going to be the guy at the top of the food chain that thinks I'm solving. I am going to be part of this flow into this living force, the cosmic force, and. I'm putting faith in that is my 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 worthiness as a creature of the force as opposed to my worthiness as a Jedi master at the top of a food chain. Right, right. It, it, it's all moreover, going to work out. Moreover, what, it, what it's about is, you know, the, again, uh, going back to this whole there is another Skywalker. He gets that information, but he doesn't – you don't get the sense that he knows what that means yet. And And really what I love about that is that, you know, when bad things happen to us in life, you know, we go and – we're trying to accomplish something and maybe we fail miserably or, or something bad happens in our career, something bad happens to people that we love, all these things that, you know, the, these episodes are really pointing out that it's like, yeah, but you don't really know what's going to come of all of these things. And the only thing that can give you hope, the only thing that makes hope possible is sticking with your principles. And that's where Yoda gets back to is like, you know, what, what are you really about? What are you... 
are, are you, you know, are you a general in a war or are you an enlightened being or someone who's trying to be enlightened? Are you someone who's in, interested in the principles that you say you're fighting for? And if that's the case, he has to be willing to roll with it. He needs to be, like, like Kyle was saying, he needs to be willing to accept what's going to come. And he has to be willing to accept that hope is going to come from a completely unexpected source, an ex- unexpected form. And that he's not going to understand it. And he doesn't need to understand it. Not That's the yet, the first anyway. thing Qui-Gon says to him before he goes into the cave. Yoda says, well, or was it when he comes out of the cave? Well, he says, well, is there still hope? And Qui-Gon says, it, it, to the effect, maybe not in the way that... That you think. Right. You think mm-hmm. is what he's mm-hmm. saying. And that is... That idea is the first step in Yoda and them realizing that maybe things have to... They have to get dark... We're fighting against the tide before they need to be balanced. We haven't reached – you know when someone – sometimes people need to hit rock bottom before they change. And this is – the galaxy might need to hit that bottom. They're fighting it on the way down. But right. it might need to do that in order to go through its next evolutionary step, which is yeah. true balance. All right. I have a yeah. very I have a very tactical uh, kind of question here. Um, Katuni shows up, right? One of the One of the younglings. And Yoda is realizing that all these people are an illusion. And did I misinterpret it, or did he point to her and say, you're dead? No, he pointed to Adi Galia and Qui-Gon Jinn and said, you're dead. He pointed to Katuni and said, you're hot. He said, you're hot. <laughs> you're a little young, but given a couple years, you got right, why, you're, you're about my size. <laughs> no, wait, but what he do, wait a minute. But why Katuni? I just seriously, why, I see, he does say something to her. He's discrediting all of them, and she's the she's the. the no, it wasn't. It was Adi Galia. It was he. He. You're, it was Adi Galia. All right. He does have a conversation, though. He does. But you're talking earlier, like, but but Jimmy's talking about later when he says, you know, da- died you did and betrayed us you have to Dooku and all that. Later, when Yoda's uncovering the truth, that wasn't Katuni. That was Adi Galia. You, you need to you need to watch more carefully, my friend. That was not Katuni. No, what that about was Adi the Ahsoka conversation, everybody. They were the same thing. Wonderful. How how cool is it that uh, you have this? God, I, I loved the, the little pieces of dialogue that she had, where she says, "Like my training was not complete. I was never a Jedi Knight. So when I die, is anyone going to remember me? Is am I going to become part of the Force? Have, am I, was I good enough yet? Like, wow, talk about a profound thing for a dying girl to ask you. you but know? is her Force worthiness to? dependent on whether she's got Jedi stripes on her shoulder. Well, but that, that's, you know, ultimately, yeah. you know, we know that that's not the truth. But but Yoda, in his distraught form, having a little girl ask you what happens after I die, and I never became what I could become. So, my God, is, you know, I mean, I, I think the way that I took it is, is anyone going to remember me? Was I significant in any way? Uh, <laughs> it's just, like, pretty deep stuff. And did you, you know? guys notice that Anakin does hear Qui-Gon? Uh, yeah. When he walks outside to find Master Yoda by the tree, he hears Qui-Gon say something. He's already connected and tuned into this. It's not like he needs Yoda to awaken him to it later or to... You know what I mean? He hears Qui-Gon. He's previously heard Qui-Gon. However, he does dismiss that vision of Qui-Gon he had on Mortis saying it was He says illusion. he qualifies it and says doesn't he say Obi-Wan or they told us we were supposed to or is it Obi-Wan does at least he he has a qualification on it which shows that he totally didn't believe it but he was sticking with the status quo 
which also shows to me that this was saying that that was real Qui-Gon. I never questioned that that wasn't real Qui-Gon because of the place that that conversation on Mortis took place. And this only reinforces that that was Qui-Gon and it was showing the improbable. That was step one in the improbable in terms of their spectrum of that's why Yoda then says, but is everything we know tells us that's impossible. And he says, but what about everything we don't know? And that says that, yes, the, the events of Mortis were, there was something more to them. They weren't just a hallucination. And I believe Qui-Gon, that was his first, you know, appearance in that form, maybe only appearance in that form. And but he, is Qui-Gon he, less of a – could he do less in that form than he could as if he had a blue shimmering body? It seemed like he could still do the exact same amount and reach out and influence beyond whether or not he took that palatable form of a human spirit. I don't Was think it's necessary. I think, I, think, I think Obi-Wan is just as effective in episode four at the end when he's guiding Luke on the, on the raid on the Death Star as he is in episode five or six. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all, it's all the same. So I don't know if I would say Qui-Gon is any less of a um, – if he achieved any less of a status. I know he, Qui-Gon kind of says that in his dialogue, like finish the training that I didn't complete and you have been chosen – um, and maybe there is much more to that. But I, I think it was kind of a mistake. I think they should have had him physically there, quite honestly, in these episodes. Where? Physically there. Whenever you hear his voice, I think they should have had him physically there. You want to there. see the ghost. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. By, by this point, yes, yes, yes. But then, I mean, I'm just saying it doesn't matter. I mean, it was kind of like... No, it doesn't matter. Story. It, it, it doesn't really matter, but, I, but it does beg the question about there being some sort of... Uh, uh, hierarchy in terms of your 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 use of the force, your understanding of the force, and uh, Sam, I mean, you, you, you've posited that you feel that the more that Luke is uh, trained, it's more of a, a reflection on the person seeing the apparition as opposed to the appar- the, the the person generating the apparition. So right. the apparition exists in Luke's mind of Obi Wan. And or, so, or the apparition exists. It's just can Luke see it or not? It's it's that. It's the force is everywhere. But are you are you, are you ah. trained to be sensitive to the force? Are you trained to recognize the the ebbs and flows and currents of the force, or you know whatever that is? But you know, but the the truth is, is that you know my my little theory about that these force spirits become more clear as Luke gets stronger in the force. I think is. You know, it's very much supported by the films. You, you, you don't just see the progression throughout the different movies. You see it in the same movie. You know, in the beginning, in, in A New Hope, Obi-Wan is just a disembodied voice to Luke. In the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back, he's a very faint spirit. At the end of The Empire Strikes Back, he's a pretty defined form. And then in Return of the Jedi, it's as if he's actually physically there. Right. You he's know? seeing everybody. Too. Right, but it's the end, end. But it's a representation of Luke's understanding, not Obi Wan's understanding. So it, this is the yes. first time Yoda is taking his first steps in this larger world. So he can't see Qui Gon yet. I like that theory, but the thing that makes me worry about that is by Episode Seven, it's going to get pretty crowded. <laughs> like, well, no, it's only these people. There's really yes. only three people that have that and Jamie and, King and four. five Jamie Kings. <laughs> yeah, they should, she it's should be in things. it. That's right, and. No, but but Qui Gon, I mean, 
it'd be too much revisionist, but like in theory, I would think Qui Gon. I guess you know, they're saying he never takes that form, but um, well, he said his training was never complete. You know, he said that. Mm. You know, but, can you show yourself? Can you? And, he goes, and maybe that is what the the twenty years of training for Obi Wan and Yoda. They actually what they did because obviously Qui Gon didn't consciously take that form. Maybe he did, but he then kept it beyond. He didn't choose his method of death. Yoda fades into death, and Obi-Wan consciously lowers his saber and becomes a spirit before Anakin Vader's blade crosses through him. And they're both conscious, and that's the level of their power, whereas Qui-Gon was stabbed through the chest, died, and maybe he wasn't prepared. He only kept part of that, and his, he couldn't take that. I'll form. buy that. I'll buy that. That's what I yeah, think it is. But, I mean, the one thing is, I know Dave said in your interview, he said, you know, we tried not to get too literal with the cave on Dagobah, that, uh, yes, you could clearly see that there is, like, a structure. But I thought there was far more of a structure implied in these episodes than was ever implied in The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, we see a smooth stone floor. We see clearly yeah. angled structure carved in stone. Um, steps. And, and, and it's different than... It doesn't. It's not in conjunction with the the misty um, smoke that blows through the room that creates the vision. It, it's there before the vision even begins. So, to me, that's implying that there is a pre-existing structure on Dagobah, and, and Qui Gon says this planet is one of the purest places of the Force in the galaxy. Obviously, this is why Yoda comes back there. But that cave, whatever it is. Obviously, it's not a cave because caves are made by nature. This is a man-made structure. So I would say let's call it the structure on Dagobah. And it just opens more questions. It's clearly there. It wasn't just part of Luke's vision catered just to Luke. This was something that was also congruent with now Yoda's, and it exists beyond his vision. Well, you know what's interesting, Kyle, is I I know I I was at your place, and you you have that Blueprints book. And if you look at the Blueprints, there was always a structure there, a very defined yes. structure. And then, by the way, even before I saw that, I was of the mind that there was a structure there because there was yeah. too much very, very straight carved rock. You know, the, you, you, I mean, the Blu-ray really makes it clear. The videotape's not as much. But when you watch the Blu-ray, you can really see, blurred out in the background, lots of stuff. Yeah, if you look at the architectural plans, they built a solid, smooth, walled stone structure Yes. augmented it with vines and here it's extrapolated even further into a much larger room than i ever imagined yeah. um it's like a it's like a, a throne room or a giant you know ante room that's it's big guys gonna yeah. throw in yeah and i mean like ralph was asked to design this environment and he did dozens and dozens of sketches of the the stairwell and the well the entrance way and and various different variations but the one thing they all had in common is they they resemble very closely the showdown scene of where, where you know, Luke is fighting uh, Vader on Bespin, the very last room before he kind of pushes him out onto the tower. Um, and so for me, I'd always assume that this was just some kind of like visual throw forward as though he was in some kind of a, a dreamscape or some kind of, you know, seeing the future, mm. seeing the future and, and, and realizing that, that, that this was some kind of like a, a hallucination, a, a vision of, of, of where he was going if he carried on behaving how he was behaving. So for me, it was very definitely not a real environment it was it was a place that that existed only in luke's luke's mind you know through the force 
So this for me was was the first time I've ever kind of encountered this. There was never any question in my mind that there was a structure there because I've seen all the designs since the 70s and I've been looking at Ralph's drawings of it for, for years and years and years. So I knew there was definitely a building there, but it was whether or not it was a real building or it was a building. That I only remember we, we've discussed this before and you, yeah. and you told me all about that stuff, which I was like, wow, okay. But well, now they've made a conscious choice to mirror yeah, the design. Yeah. It has zero to do with Bespin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the first time, in a way. I mean, so it's almost as if we're encountering it anew. That all all those questions I kind of felt were answered. But like now, it's like okay, now we maybe need to reassess that and figure Here's out. A I question. mean, the stairway was a big question, wasn't it? Because the stairs weren't there in the the version that Luke sees. Does Dooku know who Sidious really is? Oh, I think he has to. Yeah. Oh, by yeah, yes. because he says to Obi Wan, no question. Yeah, the the Senate is now on the control of yeah. the Sith Lord. And, but what about R two D two? He's seen everything now. R two D two does not see visions. No, he's not. <laughs> there you go. No, yeah, he's, but he knows this stuff. He's been to this, and I think Yoda also doesn't really keep it to himself. That guy talks. <laughs> he's like visions. I saw. You know, he's like. Strange ladies, lots of faces. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but Yoda, R2's never really there when the action's going on. I'm well, telling you, we're going to get an R2 cut one day and it's going to have subtitles for everything that R2 says. And it's going to reveal all this stuff. He's going to swear like a trooper. <laughs> you know what was cool was the, um, the space whales. Remember them from really early on when, they, when the, um, the Y-wings are flying through the nebula and they finally got to use some of Ralph's designs of those flying whales? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. They were. If you notice, you hear them pretty clearly uh, mm-hmm. when Yoda first uh, gets out of, you know, lowers the ship down into the core and starts walking onto the mystery planet. You hear one of those whales, and then you see one in the far distance floating. Because remember, those whales are in a nebula. Mm-hmm. Do you remember they they're they're flying through a nebula in that episode, and here this planet is shrouded in a nebula. So. Um, I just thought that was interesting. That was the only other outside of plant life, living creature life that we saw on this planet. Am I cur- am I wrong? No, I think you're right. Yeah, those whales, right. those flying whales, and they exist in nebulas. So I hmm. thought that was cool. That was like something. Maybe there's more to those creatures. Um, how wonder maybe how the ancient they are. Maybe the whales are the whales. It's also possible that. <laughs> But you know, it's something else that occurred to me is that, that it's possible that the probe is trying to talk to the whales and not the humans. So we do need <laughs> yeah. to go back to 1985 <laughs> to find those uh, whales and that's bring what them back. Seven is about to the 23rd century. There be right. whales here. <laughs> exactly. There's a theory I have. It's just a theory I have. Right. I haven't talked to Dave about that. Here's a really important question: Is does Pepe Bo know about Queenie? <laughs> On that note. We've been talking about these episodes for an hour and a half, and I still feel like we only scratched the surface. And talk about an A-team to bring it home. Amazing. Great, great, great times. And uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, Sam Whitworth, what a nice surprise. Thank you very much. And I have to ask, uh, as I will the rest of the uh, the panel, 
do you feel that this was the note that the Clone Wars should have gone out on? Oh, you know, I got it. Yes, absolutely. Well, it did. And it did. And it did. And we even got that great cameo, as you brought up, uh, from Ahsoka to kind of bring it all full circle, which it makes me wonder. We didn't talk about the Mark Hamill cameo. Uh, we, we didn't. No, 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 no time. I mean, that was just you have two great Star Wars, quote unquote, luminaries. Yeah. You know, and they that was amazing. Just Mark Hamill just being back in Star Wars. I mean, it's just it was so good. We didn't even really have to talk about it because it's. You, know, you don't question it. You know what I mean? He's right. just like incredible. It was, so cool it, it was yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, of all the people that could have been brought in to, to play that role, I mean, that is really, that was really an amazing moment. Um, so many amazing moments in these in these four episodes. I, I was just happy to see it go out on a, not, not that the, the, you know, the whole trial of Ahsoka and all that wasn't fulfilling on certain levels. It was, but it, it, it was fulfilling in terms of her arc was not fulfilling for me to end the series on this i'll buy it i'll buy it this this i think appropriately wrapped up the series i'm still not ready to see it go but uh alas so as we transition here on (laughs) rebel force radio clone wars declassified into rebels declassified maybe we'll be bringing back some of these some of these same discussions and, and concepts. Uh, Kyle and Jamie, thank you guys so much for being on with us. Anytime. Thank you so much. I had two little quick things. I thought it was cool to see the first ever use of time lapse, to my knowledge, in Star Wars when the Jedi doing group meditation. Oh, that I was that was really great. cool. And I just think Hasbro, unfortunately, <laughs> Lucasfilm Hasbro, somebody truly dropped the ball in terms of toys because a spirit of Qui Gon, a dark Yoda, Force priestesses. The father, the son, the daughter, trench with robotic arms, Pong Krell. You could have got a priestess packed with five different faces. I mean, and what do we get? Two two clone troopers? I I, I can't even. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even. I mean, that's to me, those are the toys that you dream about when you're a kid. Dark Yoda? Where is that? That you could do 10 proofs of purchase mail away for that. <laughs> I would love to see Dark Guys, Yoda. Guys, wake up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're all in episode seven land right now, my friend. I, they are. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Paul Bateman, Paul, thank you so much. You've always lent a great perspective to uh, to all these episodes over the years, and I look forward to more. You turned out by brilliance to, to, to be my usual kind of talkative self. <laughs> far, far more interested in listening this week. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> If this if this was uh, if this was the way that it had you know, time walkers just to go out, I think and uh, so be it. I think it was an amazing set of episodes and a wonderful way to kind of very circular. Love the whole fact that it was a Yoda episode at the start and the beginning, and it was great to finally get Mark in the show. I can't believe how long it's taken him to get him in there. He should have uh, he should have been in it since the start. I think I would have loved to hear. They should have just called him sooner. I think that's all it really took. Just pick up the phone. A lot of times we wonder about stuff like that, and you finally talk to the source. They're like, nobody asked. <laughs> I have a hunch that that may have been the case uh, here with Mark Hamill. But, yes, uh, amazing. And, you know, I thought that there would be a little bit more press around that. I, I think that uh, I'm surprised that Lucasfilm PR didn't draw much attention. But, of course, if they did and they opened up marked interviews, the conversation would, of course, switch to Episode 7, and we, we know how that goes. So, 
uh, at any rate. Uh, Jimmy Mack, final thoughts. The Yoda arc bringing Season 6, The Lost Missions, to a close, and with it, the whole series. All right, Jason, final thoughts on the Yoda arc. Of course, we'll be talking about these four episodes for a long time. And although we know this wasn't necessarily the intended conclusion to the series, nevertheless, I think it was a fitting conclusion, as you guys mentioned before. I uh, was was very satisfied with these episodes, much like uh, much like the mysteries of Mortis. Much of this story can be perceived in different ways: the nature of the Force, the mysteries of afterlife, Qui Gon Jinn's role in discovering the route to Jedi immortality. Yeah, they're all major issues within the Star Wars mythology. I thought this was a really fulfilling way of addressing these issues without necessarily defining them. This was a movie-quality offering, once again, from the incredible crew of the Clone Wars. I'm telling you guys, this level of animation is most likely something we will not be seeing happen again on television for a long time. I know Star Wars Rebels will be a great-looking show, but... Will it match the high quality achieved by George Lucas's Star Wars, The Clone Wars? I highly doubt it. These are the final stories, final Star Wars stories. We'll be hearing from George Lucas, at least directly, I believe, for a while. Um, I know they're not necessarily sticking to his outlines for the the sequels, uh, note for note. But uh, I thought this was he really went out on a high note here. And the series on a whole, God, I'm going to miss this show. It, it's it started on shaky ground, but we loved we loved each and every week of new Star Wars on television. Sure, sometimes it was hit or miss, but it certainly is going out on a high note. I think the last two seasons featured some of the best Star Wars stories ever. Stories that tied into the films and legitimately added to the mythology. I would have loved to see more, but. All great things must unfortunately come to an end, and I'm just sad that the plug was pulled at a time when the show had really, really found itself. But business is business. So for us fans of The Force, I want to say thank you, George Lucas, Dave Filoni, uh, Jamie, you were fabulous as Aura Singh, as the priestesses, uh, all the characters. Thank you. And I want to have one more important point, just so you know, um... It wasn't like, you know, with these final episodes that it was like, oh, we're just going to use these as the, I guess this is it. It was, it was something very methodical. They brought me in to shape these episodes at the very end. So it was something, the way that George wanted it to be completed, the way that Dave wanted it to be completed, um, that, you know, they had me come in to, to complete they all of this. this. They to shaped be an this ending. to be the ending. So George could... Seemed like so he could say what he needed to have said about the Force. For his final produced episode. The final George Lucas produced Star Wars, Wars, yeah. And furthermore, you know, these episodes really do say what Star Wars is all about, which is not, it's not about, it's actually an anti-war message, which is... Yeah. yeah, so it wasn't just some like, oh, you know, I guess we'll end on one thing. It was very, it was methodical and it was his choice. And so I'm very honored to be a part of that. New gun right not in these seasons, Jimmy. <laughs> Damn you, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> the last show, he takes my out. <laughs> you skipped it. I thought you skipped it. No, no, no. I, hey, Sam, great job with Darth Maul as the son and all your contributions to the Clone Wars. You were awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks to the cast and crew of Star Wars Clone Wars. Great six seasons. What an awesome ride. 
Ring on Rebels. Nuke Gunray not in these episodes. Well, you got nothing to say to me, Jimmy? I anchored all these goddamn things. Come on. <laughs> Jason Swank, thank you for showing up. Hey, Kyle, <laughs> Kyle, unfortunately, we never got to hear your character, but uh, maybe uh, somehow he'll be resurrected if they uh, decide to treat us to more bonus content. My character was cool. And I will say, I think that the arc he was in had greater implications uh, ramifications on the the galaxy than um, Jar Jar and the Temple of Stuff. <laughs> I was really uh, sorry that you you had to miss that one. Really sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm just bitter because those could have been my episodes. So. It, it maybe should have been. Maybe should have been. All right, everybody, thank you so much for uh, joining us, uh, not just this episode, but all the previous episodes of Rebel Force Radio's Clone Wars Declassified and those other shows. You remember those. Go back and uh, rewatch now that they're all on Netflix and enjoy those as well. For Sam Whitworth, Kyle Newman, Jamie King, Paul Bateman, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Epic.